Welcome to Your American Heritage with your host, Ed Bondarenka. Our goal is to provide a platform for a discussion of pro-life, pro-Christian, and pro-American constitutional principles in the light of current and historical events. America, bless God. Good afternoon. Welcome to Your American Heritage, where we talk about the two things you are not supposed to talk about in polite society, religion and politics. My name is Ed Bondarink, and I'm not your normal fluffy insurrectionist. My pronouns are normative and descriptive. The producer is Derek Stone. He's the hardest working man in radio, but he makes it all look so easy. The pros always do. Kids, don't try this at home. Actually, I do, and that's why I'm in the studio today. So Derek also hosts Stone Cold Sports Sundays at noon 30, right after my friend Sean Todd, the Rock and Rev, on the intersection at noon. It's not your normal fluffy Christian show. Uh, let's see. Things are kind of in a state of flux at the moment. If I seem a little bit uh, disjointed, it's because, one, I can't access my show notes, And the reason for that is because the internet is down both here at the studio and uh, actually we lost it at home too. So um, I fled to the studio hoping that uh, things would go better here and uh, they did not. So um, let's see now. Day of the coup is 325 since your government was taken over by forces that are the antithesis to what the founders intended for us. And so basically we have a government that's not working in your best interests. If they were, gas would be below $3 again. If they were, inflation would not be going up. If they were, then the whole COVID crisis would have been handled a lot differently. And, um, Sad the way it's going, but like I like to point out is that uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers and principalities of the air. In other words, there's forces beyond this, like you see in some science fiction movies, some of the things they get it right, is that there are forces in the background. These are spiritual forces, and they're motivating people to behave a certain way. Because if if you don't have God motivating you, (laughs) and you think you're just left to yourself, well, that's bad enough that you're just left to yourself. But then, if there is a spiritual force and God's not motivating you, well, it's the other guy, and there is another guy, and uh, it's not a good thing. So it boils down to where it's spiritual warfare. I don't want to lose the audience by saying, oh, it's going on a Bible, Bible preaching uh, uh, bender. No, that's not the case at all. It's just facts is facts. Follow the science. This universe, this universe clearly demonstrates that somebody created it. He gave us a book to tell us how he did it and why he did it and his invitation to us to change sides, come over, come over to his side, be on the winning side. So we need to go to war. Father, right now I come before you and I ask you to lead us and guide us in this radio show. And then I also ask you to lead us and guide us as a nation. I ask you to lead and guide our politicians and those that resist your leading and guidance and seek to subject us and to intimidate us and to harass us, I ask you that you would uh, remove them from power is the gentlest way I can say it. And uh, imprisonment would be fine by me too. 
But I'd also like you to bring them to a place of repentance, first and foremost. But having failed all that, please stop them from harassing us. There are many psalms in the Bible that speak of this, and things go well. We're going to have a guy next week talk to us about about uh, the psalms of war. This guy's really good, and uh, you're going to like it. It's <laughs> You know, like Pastor uh, Pastor Sean likes to say, it's not your warm and fuzzy Christian show. Yeah. This guy is not warm and fuzzy Christian. It's all about spiritual warfare. It's all about men stepping up. So I'm looking forward to that, but that's not today. So today, I'd like to also, before we go on, I don't have notes here to help me, okay? So you have to bear with me. I also want to pray right now for those people who have been uh, hurt and damaged by the tornadoes in Kentucky. And uh, then there are people who are out of power right now people who depend on power for heat. I've, I've seen it. I've driven by their homes today on the way here. And so um, I'd like to pray right now, Father, for your protection and your healing and your recovery for those who have been hit hard in Kentucky by that storm and for those who have been hit here locally also by the storm. I'd also like to pray for those who have uh, found themselves on the wrong side of the 1-6 uh, transurrection um, imprisonment that you would free them, that you would see that they are, are released from captivity and they would get true justice and not this phony justice that the uh, Biden administration and the DOJ is trying to push on them. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So we have a guest today, okay? And uh, yeah. today we have Tudor Dixon on the show, and uh, she is hoping to replace Gretchen Whitmer. Now, there are a number of candidates who uh, hope to replace Gretchen Whitmer, and um a lot of them are good. Some of them are iffy. What I want to do is I want to bring these candidates to your attention. And uh, when we get done talking to Tudor, when I get done talking to Tudor, I'm going to uh, open up the phone lines and you can talk to Tudor. Well, welcome to Your American Heritage, Tudor. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, great. So, um, First off, I could run down your bio a little bit, but I think you know it better than I. I mean, I've got some stuff off of Ballotpedia, off of TudorDixon.com, a few other places. But where's your hometown? Yeah, I live in Norton Shores, Michigan. I came here to help my father run a steel foundry. So my the majority of my career background is manufacturing. Good. Same here. Exactly. And that's that's what America needs to do is stay in manufacturing. So uh, you moved here to help your father. Now, your father had moved here. You were from another state, right? I'm not calling you a carpetbagger, but I mean, everybody moves around in America. That's America. Yeah, I grew up in Illinois. Um, my my parents actually lived there as well. He bought the steel foundry 20 years ago, and my husband and I moved here 20 years ago to help him run the steel foundry. So we did. I did that for about 10 years. And then in 2009, my husband and I decided to start a family. So we started our family in, in our house that we're in now in Norton Shores. And we have four daughters. Uh, during that time, when I was home with my girls, my last two are twins. When they were two years old, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I went through that and having, you know, that, that interesting insight into what it is to be a patient in our healthcare system. And then when I went back to work after the girls, I went back to work in forging. So I went back in, in the steel industry, and I was selling steel forgings to our automotive industry, which was 
fascinating for me because I'd been in manufacturing every industry outside of automotive. So to get to see automotive was very good for me here in Michigan. And interestingly, what I was seeing even 20 years ago in the foundry, we were having struggles with workforce. And I thought that, well, we thought that was foundry specific. But really then when I went back into forging and I talked to all of our tier one and tier two suppliers in the automotive industry, they were also having troubles with workforce. And that is still an issue that we have today. It's one of one of the many reasons I was inspired to run. Well, okay, that's good. That's good. And um, actually, I was going to make a funny just before you said breast cancer. You mentioned that you had twins. You had four girls. And I was going to say our prayers go out to you. But, uh... <laughs> Trust me. It's funny. When you have four daughters, you, people come up to me as mom, and they always say, oh, you're so lucky you have four daughters. And they come up to my husband, and they're like, we're so sorry that this happened to you. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. My, uh... You're so outnumbered. It's so sad. My wife, uh, her parents had two daughters and a, and a boy, and uh, having grown up in that household, she is thrilled that we didn't have girls. We had boys. They bring their own, they bring their own uh, issues with them, too. But uh, when they all grow up and um, they all mature, it's, it's, it's good to watch them. It's good to look back and see how that worked out. So um, once again, I appreciate you coming on the show to talk to us today. I've, I've been very curious about, you know, I keep hearing about Tudor Dixon. I, I don't know much about you. I heard you were in broadcasting, and it turns out that uh, you work with us. You worked with Steve Gruber. I assume you've stepped down from that position. I haven't been able to find that out, but I assume yeah. running for office, you were you had to step down, just like my friend Pastor Rick did when he ran for dog catcher in Willis. Eh, it wasn't dog catcher; it was <laughs> supervisor. But uh, yeah, so there are certain rules about that. I'm kind of curious. So you went from manufacturing into mm-hmm. broadcasting. How did that happen? Yeah, right. It's not something you generally do in your 40s, change careers like that. But I actually had a friend who wanted to, one of my friends had worked in education reform for many, many years and came to me five years ago and said, I'm not sure if you're aware of what's happening in our schools. And he had been writing about what's happening in our schools with CRT and those issues for 10 years at that point when I met him. So this has actually been going on for a long time. And my girls were in school at that point still younger, and and he said, you know, I really think that we should offer an alternative to CNN that's in our schools right now, a conservative alternative that shows, that gives children and students the news, but also talks to them about how wonderful this country is, instead of convincing people that they live in a horrible country. And so we started to produce that. Pretty soon, a company out of Denver came to us and said, we like what you're doing. We have Pursuit Channel. We have Weather Nation. We want to create a bigger conservative network, and we want you to help us behind the scenes. So we went to them, and it wasn't long before the owner of the company said, hey, I'm a faithful guy. God is calling me to put you on the air. I want you to consider it. So I started doing that, and I traveled around to different rallies, March for Life, that type of thing, interviewing people. And then eventually he built a studio for me in Grand Haven, Michigan, and that's when I was working with Steve on a daily show. So that I was really blessed to be able to work on a daily show with Steve because without doing that, I wouldn't have had the on-air experience that I have debating, debating Democrats. Every day we had Democrats on, we had congressmen and senators on. We, we were in the perfect position to get involved in every issue in the political world, but also that affects our children and affects our workers and affects everybody here in Michigan. And so 
through that career path that I took, I was able to build the team that I have today to do what, what I'm doing today. You said something kind of, kind of weird. You said this guy felt that God told him to do this for you. Did I hear you correctly? Yes. Did Oh, no. Are you one of those wackos that thinks that God might have called you to do something? <laughs> um, I wouldn't call that wacko. I believe that we God places a plan on each one of us, and His plan is good. Amen. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear somebody who is willing to stand up to that. And even the in the face of persecution from myself, you were willing <laughs> to make a stand and say, yes, yes. And, and I... Yeah, you probably heard my opening. I don't know if it came across over the over the phone, but um, you know, I firmly believe we're in a in spiritual warfare right now. People have to step up, and we need people of faith to step up and and uh, fulfill the mission that God has for them. Because if they don't, then somebody else will who is not led of God. You know, and it's one thing you say, "Well, I'm not. I don't believe in God." Okay, fine. Then you're led by yourself. That's scary enough. But then to reject God, you know, and, and become a Democrat, uh, yeah, that, that's now you're really opening yourself up in, into demonic uh, um, motivation, I believe. So that's, that's my mileage. Your mileage may vary, and I don't mean you. I mean the listening audience. But um, so, so that's how you got into broadcasting, and that's good. I. I got into broadcasting by calling into Bill Bennett and a lot of radio shows and <laughs> being asked to co-host a, a previous show I was on, uh, the, the Drift Radio Show and with Gary Wellings. And actually, there was talk of uh, Steve bringing us on to his network at one point, but we didn't hear much after that. So it doesn't much matter. So let's see now. Um, then you decided to run for governor of Michigan and exactly— you you touched on that, but give us a little bit more about that. You said how that prepared you with a team to run, but what was the? That's a scary thing. I know. I know. It was uh, when Pat Kolbeck did it. I mean, man, it was a big financial hit. You know, I don't know if that's yeah. the case for you or not, but uh, um, tell us about it. Yeah, well, it was one of those situations where we, my husband and I, had talked about running for office years ago, but. The girls were young, and it didn't seem like it was the right time. And so when this election came up, we started to look at the state of Michigan and said, wow, the state's really struggling. We have a workforce problem. We have an education problem, and we really have a business problem. And then you add COVID on top of that, and you see how our businesses that are here were decimated by the governor's policies that just destroyed businesses and, and really hurt people's mental health. And so we started to look at this my the, the small team that I did have, I talked to some folks and said, what do we think about her vulnerabilities and who would step up to run? And there wasn't that obvious person that had been in the legislature for years to step up and run. And so we, we did some research and found out that she's very vulnerable and that we have <laughs> a good opportunity here. So, so we were able to build a team. But as I've gotten into this, you know, my at first when you decide to do this, you have suspicions of how the state is suffering in certain ways. But as I've gotten into this and traveled across the state and met with business owners across the state, I've found that my suspicions are actually worse than what, what we, we originally thought. The schools, we really need to support our schools. We need to, to pass legislation that the governor has vetoed on choice for parents. Many parents out there want choice in education. 
So we not only need choice in education, but we need to improve our public schools as well. We also have to build our workforce back. We have an aging workforce. Our workforce is aging out of the system, and we don't have new people coming in. We also need to bring business here, and we need to be prepared for that. I talked to Governor Lee of Tennessee, and I said, look, I love what you do in Tennessee. You have, you've, you're really building business. You've got a great criminal justice reform system. I hate the fact that you're taking business out of Michigan. And he looked at me and he said, oh, it's so easy. You guys aren't ready for it. We weren't. We are going to be. That's a strong motivator to make sure that we get into office and we can save our state. Well, that sounds good. I like that. Uh, yeah, when you say that she's vulnerable, she's not just vulnerable. She's bloody and laying in a ditch. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's why she's not doing anything right now. I mean, this is, we are having a terrible COVID outbreak, and she's just disappeared. Here, you look at other states. You think that we have a lower vaccination uh, or we have a higher unvaccinated rate than other states? No, we don't. Other states are prepared to treat patients. We are not. When my sister got COVID in Florida, they drove to her house and gave her the antibodies. That's not happening in Michigan. Why is that not happening? Why are we not prepared on all ends? Whether it's somebody that wants to get vaccinated and they get sick and they're getting antibodies, or it's somebody who's chosen not to get vaccinated and they need antibodies, why are we not looking at what the treatments need to be in the state? It's very selfish and it's irresponsible and it goes to her incompetence. Well, exactly. The, the party of choice, you know, when it comes to abortions, offers us little choice when it comes to health care. It's, it's really pathetic. It's, uh, well, actually, it's not just pathetic. Excuse me. It's oppressive. It's absolutely oppressive Danger. of the American people. That's right. It's, it's people going to a hospital. Well, I don't, I'm not sure about I haven't read of this state. But in Illinois, I believe it was a man named Ng. I can't pronounce it. N-G. With his family, he was in on a ventilator yes. for 11, 11 days, I almost said weeks, yeah. And uh, his family sued, and the judge said, you will give him ivermectin. And he, I think he was out the next day, you know, and it's, it's sad. It's, it's sad that uh, people have to pay for uh, 100, I think like $150 for an online uh, uh, session with a doctor, like frontline doctors or... Um, freedoctors.com or whatever, and then they have to pay out of pocket uh, to some prescription on the web. Uh, By the way, Amazon sells Avermectin prescription and hydroxychloroquine. Of all things, they will fill those prescriptions, even though uh, your major pharmacies won't. So, folks, if if you're able to avail yourself of that. And I'll be frank, I just, just in the, uh, Amazon just delivered two tubes of uh, Avermectin apple-flavored horse paste to me. Do not get the gold. I haven't tried it. But doggone, I'm going to have something on the shelf if something should happen. <laughs> now I really am a wacko. So um, go ahead. This is It's outrageous to think that Americans are having to hire attorneys to make sure they're getting the best care in our hospitals. This is something we've never seen before. But our hospitals are, there is truth to the fact that our hospitals are overrun. Our doctors and nurses are overwhelmed. And this could be stopped if we activated our EMT service and had these EMTs. And we need to because our EMTs need to be funded. We have COVID dollars. We could be funding them to help out with this pandemic. And it's a 
the pandemic is not something that's just going to go away overnight. We need to figure out ways to make sure that we're going to be able to survive this pandemic. And that's an option that we're just not looking at in this state right now. It's outrageous to think that it's hard to get treatments when they're there. Yes, exactly. Um, Folks, if you have questions for Tudor Dixon, like I said, 734-822-1600. Yeah, well, back to the choice issue and the oppression issue. Um, On a scale of Whitmer to DeSantis, how would you rate yourself? (laughs) Um, I, I believe in everything that Ron DeSantis is doing right now. His policies are strong. He's strong fighting back. He wants to protect choice and the American people. But he's also come into a state that was a purple state. Florida was a purple state, just like Michigan is a purple state. He's come in and he's shown that good policies are good no matter whether you are blue or red. Good policies will help business, will drive the economy, will improve education. And those are all things that we need to model here in Michigan. In fact, a lot of people come to me and they say, how will you do these things that you talk about in Michigan? How will you improve education? We've tried and there's not an answer. Well, there are answers. In fact, these red governors have answers that have worked. It's, we don't have to recreate the wheel here. We can go to these other states. Like I said, Governor Lee was willing to sit down with me and talk. These other governors, they don't want to see any states fail. They're willing to share their success stories with you so you can model that. We can bring these policies that we see in Florida, in Texas, in Tennessee, to Michigan, the successful policies, bring them to Michigan, and watch Michigan thrive. Well, that's a, that's a function of federalism, the laboratory of the states, right, where each state tries and figure it out instead of a one, one policy fits all. It was a school choice that, uh, when you were speaking of that earlier, that made me think of the fact that besides health care, uh, the Democrats are not the party of choice. They're the party of no. suppression and oppression. And they, they don't want you to be able to uh, uh, break out of, the, uh, break out of their, their camp. So, um, You've already seen this with Governor Whitmer. She had the opportunity after COVID. And think about this. You have all these students who many of them missed a year and a half of school. We already have students before this that are well behind in reading. The legislature passes a bill that says that you can have $155 million for $1,000 reading scholarships to get children back on track in the state of Michigan. And she says, no, has a top advisor say, this sound, this smells too much like vouchers. We're not going to, I mean, essentially what they're saying is we're not going to give parents any power over their child's education. Meanwhile, our kids are being failed by the system. This is outrageous to think that this administration is willing to put our children's future at risk and ultimately the entire state's future at risk. Exactly. Well, why don't you stay over after the break and we'll see if uh, we have a phone caller. So let's see what happens there. We'll have Dooter Dixon back after the break. Stay tuned, folks. to be courageous we were made to lead the way we could be the generation that finally breaks the chains we were made to be courageous 
Hey, thanks for returning to Your American Heritage. I'm your host, Ed Bondarenka, and uh, we must be courageous. In fact, before we go much further, I want to say something here. I read something. I was reminded of something when I was listening to the Steve Gruber show. Um, I heard of something that made me think of this. Esther chapter 3, verse 1. After these things, Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, we all know that, and advanced him and his seat above all the princes who were with him. So this Haman got elevated, and all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. And it goes on a bit, and it looks pretty iffy for Mordecai. And, uh, it, you know, there's a few chapters. That was chapter 3, verse 1. Here's Esther chapter 7, verse 10. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. I love a happy ending. I love a happy ending. Now, much prayer occurred between chapter 3 and chapter 7. And courage. Stand up to them. Do not back down when you are in the right. Joining me in studio, actually in studio, is Pastor Richard Dietering because he's homeless and powerless. Well, I'm not homeless, but I'm a, I have a home without power. And uh, But we have a generator that's keeping the freezers cold. We've got to hook up another one later to keep the furnace going. Yeah, that's so, important. Yeah. So, And, of course, with us is Tudor Dixon, who is running for the GOP nomination for uh, in the primaries for governor of the fine state of Michigan. And welcome back, Tudor. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, we have a caller, Greg from Howell, who has a... Uh, comment about uh, monoclonal antibodies and election integrity. Let's hope he has a question for you. Greg? Hi, Ed. Hi, uh, Tudor. How you doing? Hello? Um, that's interesting. Can, can you hear me now? We can, can hear you. I can hear you. I cannot hear Tudor. I'm well. looking at Derek feverishly trying to figure out what's going on. Go ahead, Derek. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, we can't have two callers on the line at the same time, so he can just give his comments, and then I'll put Tudor back on the air. Okay. All right. Go ahead, Greg. Make it quick. Thanks. Okay. Uh, first of all, Governor Dixon, <laughs> I hope. Okay. But anyways, yeah, I'm I'm for the monoclonal uh, uh, antibodies. It saves lives. It's The jab is gone. It's, we already know. People know that it's not working. Yep, they won't have And uh, uh, I just uh, hope that uh, it's a safe election, you know. Oh, that, so that we can in have In my it. mind, I know. I knew the next day, November 4th, 2020, I knew what happened. Okay. No, you know, they didn't have to tell us or anything. I knew everything. I knew it, you know, that everything was turned up, turned, turned upside down. All right. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate okay, your call. So we're going to go back to Tudor now. I just want to make a... Well, I want Tudor back okay. on the air while you make All this right. comment, okay? Tudor, are you back with us? Yes, I am. I don't know if you could hear any of that. Unfortunately, yes, we can't... Yes, I could. Oh, that's great. We don't have to repeat ourselves. Pastor Rick? Yeah, on the monocardial infusion, um, as you know, my wife and I just went through... Um, COVID. COVID. She she was not vaccinated. I was fully vaccinated. I got the worst bend of it. She she walked through it like it was a, a light cold. Um, she got she she because of the medication she's on. She was able to get the infusion because I was under the age of sixty five. 
my my the U of M would not give me the infusion, even though I was much worse than her. And then I found out if I went to another place and I could have gone somewhere else and got it, but then they would have charged me and my insurance wouldn't have covered it. And, and I see a whole bunch of wackiness going on on who's being controlled on who can get this infusion and who can't and and i guess how bad you have it doesn't work the infusion worked great for my wife i wish i could have gotten it yeah well that's good oh by the way i've read recently that uh, myocarditis is a mild and expected side effect of the vaccine it actually means that the vaccine is doing its job you will have a bigger heart and will be just fine unless you want to become an athlete we're developing medications in our pipeline to help you manage your myocarditis for the rest of your life. Experts say that most people get myocarditis eventually by their ninth or tenth shot. So do not panic. Yeah, that's that's Babylon B worthy. Yep. Yeah. So um, let's see now. We're still talking to Tudor, and we have a call from uh, Joe from Wyandotte regarding property taxes, and I'm thinking this is Tudor related. So, Joe, you there? Yes, I am. Uh, I do have a question for Tudor regarding property taxes. But first, Ed, I'm very disappointed in you because the scale is Whitler to Christy Nome. Christy Nome did not do one minute of mask mandate. Christy Nome did not do one minute of shutdown. Ron DeSantis can't say that. And Tudor Dixon is our Christy Nome. Well, any arguments, Tudor? As far as property taxes, I'm anti-tax, you know that. Uh, I did support Proposal A under Engler to do the shift to the sales tax, but unfortunately property taxes, even with the Prop A caps, are still way out of control, and seniors who otherwise own their homes, have no mortgages, are getting foreclosed on and kicked out of their home. I would support and want to know if Tudor will support another Proposal A, where we just go to 6.1% sales tax, just a smidgen, and then cut, slash, or maybe even completely terminate property taxes for those 62 and older. Uh, and, and then obviously that won't pay for it all, and then the state get reasonable and cut all the garbage it funds elsewhere. Hey, Joe, Joe I, gotta, I just got to, before we go to Tudor on this, I just have to say, these, these elderly people that are getting kicked out of their houses, just so they know, and because we are coming up to tax season, I think it's important we get this out there. If you are struggling with financially and you can't afford your property taxes, every municipality in Michigan has a hardship situation where you can go in and apply for a hardship, uh, where you take in your documentation and talk to them, and they can up to 100% alleviate your property taxes, but you've got to start at your border review in your municipality. Oh, well, that, that kind of reminds me of the U.S. military having uh, religious exemptions for the jab that they are not offering to anybody in the Navy whatsoever. So it's well, a lot of good that has to have something. Every, every municipality's yeah. level of, of poverty and everything else is different from municipality to municipality, but they all have cases where you can go in and apply for a hardship. And, and I'm saying this because there are people out there struggling oh, in today's imagine. economy, and there is a route. they got to go through their municipality border review. On that note, I would love to see property taxes eliminated completely in the it state of Michigan. It should be automatic. You okay. shouldn't have to beg them. All right. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. I want to get back All since right, we can't hear Tudor at the same time. Thanks. Bye. Tudor, any comments on that? What would your proposals be for property tax? 
Well, we're looking at taxes in general right now because this is a problem that is for people across Michigan and, and not just folks 62 and older or 61 and older. It, it's a really a big problem because we are in the top 10 in the nation for the worst taxes on the middle class. Our entire middle class is suffering. That goes back to our workforce issues. You know, I what you I told you already that one of the number one reasons I'm in is because we were suffering with workforce 20 years ago. Now it's just gotten much worse. And as I look at what's going on in the state, taxes is one of those reasons because we have the harshest taxes on the middle class. So that's definitely a part of our pro- platform. We have already signed the taxpayer pledge that um, protection pledge, and we are going to do all we can to reduce taxes. And we're looking at that right now, and property taxes is one of those taxes that is really hard on our middle class. So like I said, it's not just folks of a certain age. This is hurting across the board. It's also, it's not just causing people not to come here and, and choose to live here as from a workforce standpoint. It's also hurting us when we're going out to get businesses. Like when you look at Ford leaving recently and saying, you know what, we're going to build new factories, but they're going to be in Tennessee and they're going to be in Kentucky, and $11 billion is going to go into these areas. That is because one of the reasons is because it's hard to get people to come here when you have such high taxes on your middle class. So it's something we have to look at. We have to very seriously look at how we're treating the people of the state and go back to being a customer service-based government that takes care of our businesses and takes care of our residents. Okay. Rick, you had a question. You, you yeah, I, I caught the the early part of your uh, uh, of your interview with with Tudor. Um, now, did you say you ran a business, owned a business, or managed a business? What I'm looking now because uh, Tudor, I, I don't know much about you. I want to know your qualifications on why I should vote for you. Um, so yeah, I came here to help my father run his business. He had a steel foundry in Muskegon, so I ran helped him run the steel foundry for many years. And I started in customer service, worked on the shop floor for many years, and then eventually worked into sales. But in working alongside him like that, I could see the, the struggles that we had, especially as a steel foundry. I mean, you, you are obviously going to be a target of the environmental agency. So we worked very close with our environmental agencies. But that experience for me, having worked in that industry and then going on to work in steel forging and be in that industry – I could see how all of our businesses were struggling to get through government overreach and government overregulation. It wasn't so bad when we had Snyder. Snyder came in and said, we're going to go back to being a customer service-based government. It's amazing how Gretchen Whitmer has been able to destroy everything that Rick Snyder was able to do in his eight years so quickly. And that is by using our agencies as weapons. And I say that because they're taking the guidance that's there, and it's malicious interpretation of this guidance. So they've got, gone in and said, this is what the guidance says. We're going to take it to the absolute extreme, and they're going to our farmers, and they're hurting our farmers. They're going to our builders, hurting our builders. If you want a permit today, builders are telling me, hey, look, it used to take us two months to get a permit, and now it takes us eight. We had to hire a specialist to come in and help us. So not only is it taking me longer to actually break ground, but it costs me $80,000 a year more so that I can have this person that can deal with the government, whereas it used to be that the government wanted to deal with me. Now, why would our government want to make it harder to do business in the state? It makes no sense outside of the fact that you have someone 
in government, leading the government, who's never understood what it was like to be on the other side and run a business and deal with the agencies. Yeah. So that sounds reasonable to me. Rick, did you have a follow-up? Um, not yet. Okay. So, so you know, when you, when you talk about working with the government as a, as a, as a member of a, of a manufacturing organization, a business or whatever, and you've got to deal with the government agencies, to my mind, there's a swamp in the Michigan uh, legislature and actually in a lot of the administrative bureaucracy also, as, as there is in most bureaucracies, that uh, we live in it almost, not almost, we live in an administrative state. And so you come in as governor, and not only are you fighting um, to get your your um, agenda through uh, with the legislature, also fighting uh, bureaucrats. And so I'm seeing it as a, a two-front war. Well, now, there are some real pieces of work in the state legislature right now. And uh, how would you propose to deal with these? Well, you know, your real problem is bureaucracy, because you have a lot of bureaucrats that have control over government where your representative is supposed to be in control of decisions. And so Gretchen Whitmer has come in and she's put sorority sisters in place of of big agencies and and friends and in charge of big agencies. Those are the folks that we can immediately take out of those positions, obviously, and bring in a new administration. And maybe those people are from Michigan. Maybe they're not from Michigan. Maybe they've dealt with this in other states and done a phenomenal job. And we bring in somebody that has incredible experience with bringing a state from a state of despair to prosperous. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the best people across the country to to run these agencies. Now, when you talk about the legislature, we have to work with our legislature. And it's funny because even now I see that we've created a culture of arguing across the country. And I come from a situation where you've spent your entire life negotiating. You know that you're going to, as a business person, come to the table and sit down and negotiate. My dad always said to me, Tudor, you're going to come to the table, you're going to bring your rabbits and your elephants. You have to make sure that you have those rabbits there because the rabbit's what you're willing to give away. Protect your elephants. Just know that at a negotiation, you're not going to get everything you want. I think that's where we forget in, in society today that you have to negotiate. You have to compromise. And we can't have everything we want. I hear politicians all the time saying, I'll get you everything you want and I'll never work with the other side. That's killing our government systems today. We have to be able to sit down and understand that life is a negotiation and we're going to get the best possible outcome for the people of Michigan. But if you don't sit down and listen and talk about it, you're not going to get anything. Uh, Tudor, I have two quick questions. Well, I don't know. We'll see if we got time for both. Quick questions here. Um, The first one is on the First Amendment. Uh, Back in 1906, the United States Supreme Court declared that uh, every... every, uh, uh, corporation is subject to, to the government. The government is is over all of its corporations. Uh, sovereign is the word the the Supreme Court used. Sovereign over over that. Uh, then we have the Johnson Amendment that pretty much made it to where churches had to be, according to each state, um, incorporated to to be tax exempt. Do you see as a, a way as a governor un, under 
being the governor, saying, no, you as a church don't have to be tax-exempt. As a church, you're automatically uh, tax-exempt. Well, you don't have to be a corporation. Law, though, isn't it? It's up to each state. Corporations are run by each state. It's a state corporation license. So it's the state that is sovereign over the corporations. Hmm. Tudor, you've researched this int- this, uh, no. this very carefully, haven't you? <laughs> and you have, have a reasoned response to Rick's off-the-wall co- I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tudor. No, it's an interesting comment because if the state can have control over your business, I mean, it's it's the same for other businesses that we saw during the pandemic. And overregulation like that is definitely something we're looking at because you even have a situation where if you want to have a barber shop, you have to have a license for it. So there are situations where we can say it makes sense to have to have a license to be a surgeon. Do you have to have a license to be able to cut and style hair? Because if you have to have a license, then the government can take that license away and have total control over your business. And is that what we want as a state? So I don't have the exact answer for you on the churches. I will look into that. But I do believe that we have a situation that we weren't aware of, really, that the government and the state government actually has total control over your business if they want to, in some cases where there is overregulation. And how can we go in and say, what regulation is important in certain cases to make sure that we keep people safe. But when it's overdone, how do we go in and look at that and say, it's time to step back and say government doesn't have to have their hands and everything. And we saw that with our churches, obviously, where we have churches that have to close down and people in the midst of a pandemic who need to be worshiping, who need to be in prayer in person with people. And that was taken away by a government that said, we have total control. It was shocking. It's something that we've never seen in the United States before. But on the flip side of that, wow, this is God working in our lives because God is opening our eyes to say, you know what, in the United States of America, it is possible to take away our religious liberty, and this is what you have to do to protect it. We would have never seen some of these things without the last four years of what's gone on in the United States, and now our eyes are open, and it's causing people who are freedom-loving Americans to say, I want to get involved. I want to do something to make sure that we do have that religious liberty, but we're also protected as a free nation. All right, my second question uh, is is basically going to first be your overall view of the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, and in particular, constitutional carry in the state of Michigan. I've seen pictures of her with shotguns. People can't see those pictures online. Yeah, it's uh, for me, I honestly, I've talked to so many people about this. I'm a woman, obviously. I have a different perspective maybe than some men. When I've had people say to me, well, what if a man could overpower you? The only chance I have in a situation where there's a man that's bigger than me is to have a weapon. And the fact that somebody would want to take that chance of my protection away from me is disgusting because something that we have, our forefathers, foresaw that we need to have this protection. And obviously for many people, their reasoning is different, but I do believe that the Second Amendment cannot be infringed. As soon as we start to see somebody pick away at something, we've given it away. We have to protect it with everything we have. So if the, if the, if the Republican Senate and House came through and, and put a bill in front of you for constitutional carry, you'd sign it? Yes. Amen. That's good. Hey, uh, speaking of religion, we've got uh, Gary from Tucson wants to call. He has a qu- question about Sharia law. Gary, are you there? Yes, sir. It's not necessarily a question. Uh, 
but I'd like to know um, if you would stand against letting Sharia law take hold in our court systems, either indirectly or allowing the Sharia to be um, used in even the Muslim communities, because where Sharia goes, liberty dies. I have a lot of Muslim friends who have said to me, this is not what we believe. This is not, this is a bad example of what people are trying to paint as the Muslim community. And I think that most Muslims would say, we do not want this. And of course, we'll stand against anything that is going to abuse people, certainly abuse women. And I think that the majority of my Muslim friends and our Arab American friends who are in Michigan, which we have a huge Arab American population that do great things for the state, they would also stand beside me and say, we do not believe that this is what we should be doing. It's not a question of oppressing Muslims. It's a question of Freedom, like Gary said, where we're Sharia law. We can only have one set of law in this country, and that's based under the Constitution. So, you know, there, there, there can't be a question that this is racist or Islamophobic or whatever. This is just, it's just America. We, Welcome we, to it. The law of the land is the Constitution of the federal court and the Constitution of the Michigan. Gary, did that satisfy you? Gary is gone. Well, thank you, Gary. I know you're listening, so I thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Uh, let's see, we have a couple minutes left. Uh, Tudor, I'm very glad you came on to uh, uh, talk about a number of these things. I, I'm going to just flat out assume you are pro-life. What would you do to defend Michigan's uh, on-the-law books should uh, Roe v. Wade uh, die a painful death and what much-deserved death? Yeah, in Michigan, we don't have to do anything if Roe v. Wade is overturned and it but it's interesting right now because you have a governor who is preventing young women from getting education on alternatives to abortion so even though she's out there saying that she's pro-choice when it comes when a bill comes in front of her desk she line item vetoes any education on options she line item vetoes any health care on on options for young pregnant women who don't know what to do it's really disgusting and i think that we as a society have allowed this unknowingly to go on for a very long time because in the 70s when Roe v. Wade was in the Supreme Court, we didn't have the knowledge about babies that we do now. We didn't have ultrasounds. I have a personal unique experience with this because we lost a baby at 18 weeks and I held my baby in my arms and I looked at her perfect little lips and her perfect little fingers and toes and I thought to myself, think of the times that I was in high school when they told me at 20 weeks this baby is a clump of cells. Well, I'm holding my baby at 18 weeks, and she's perfect. Well, that Tudor, is something we need to make sure people know. That's the music. Tudor, thank you very much for joining us today. Folks, we've been with Tudor Dixon. She's running for governor. And also Pastor Richard Dietering will be on next on Moment of Clarity. Thank you for joining us. See you next week.